What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG and MHS Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, I've got a great guest with me today. Uh, I haven't had him on since, well, this is 2023 now. So the last time I had this man on, well, it was the first time, was October of 2021. Uh, and I feel really guilty about not having him on since then. So uh, it is your, it is the... No, uh, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLA.com, um, a man of many talents, a man of uh, man of podcasts now, a a one of my favorite people in the entire planet, Christian Clark. Hello, sir. Mort! What's new, man? <laughs> oh, my God. I love, love that greeting. Um, sir, I wanted to have you on. Now, now we've been greeted with news that we didn't anticipate. <laughs> before when i was making this <laughs> when i was booking this so uh zion is going to it, like hurt his hamstring and he is going to be out uh how how much I, I didn't i didn't get to the part of your article where you wrote about that so how long is zion going to be out and uh obviously give me your interpretation of how this is going to affect the team my official take is a real freaking bummer man <laughs> uh i mean zion was playing so well you know, he'd really hit his stride post knee injury for 15, 20 games. I mean, I, like to me, I I had to like turn in this thing today for like a poll where they asked me like MVP, yada, yada, and all-star starters. And I, I put him down as an all-star starter. Like that's how good I, I think he has been. That's probably out the window now. He's going to be reevaluated in three weeks with what the team called a, a right hamstring strain. They did not provide any information about you know, what kind of grade strain that it was, you know, it's like a one through three scale or whatever, but hugely disappointing to say the least. Um, I mean, Zion was kicking ass, man. Uh, <laughs> my single favorite moment from this NBA season was the 360 windmill hell dunk. He unleashed on the Phoenix suns at the end of that game. One of the cool, probably the coolest play I've ever seen in person. Mm -hmm. so yeah. Big, big old bummer all around. And it happened on a night, when Donovan Mitchell went for 71 and Clay Thompson went for 54. <laughs> it's just, that is that it just, maybe it was a, a little buried, but today, obviously it's a big news. How is this team? I mean, you've been a, I read a little bit this in your article, this team's not had everyone healthy very much. Uh, the Pelicans. So, for their entire existence as a franchise. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. So how is this going to affect them? I mean, um, when is, I mean, is Ingram supposed to be back anytime soon? Yes, hopefully. Um, he's been doing more in practice. He's missed 19 games in a row with a toe contusion. I kid you not. A couple days before Thanksgiving, he basically kicked the back of Dylan Brooks's foot. And he's been out for almost a quarter of the season now, more than a month, with what they have said is a toe contusion. Wow. That can that can only help happen to this franchise. I don't know what other way to put it. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, he's getting closer. He was like a I don't know, he went through parts of practice or whatever. And what's weird about it too is I think the team has medically cleared him. I think it's a deal where it's kind of up to him and it's you know him managing pain you know he got pretty close a couple weeks ago and then he played this uh like practice five on five game and i think he felt some swelling in the foot some pain in the foot so he said eh, we better relax for a while 
So yeah, man, it's been almost a quarter of the season with a toe contusion. Insane. Oh, oh, foot injuries and tall guys is like it can become a plague because you'll never feel right. You know, me as a diminutive sort, I I, I seem to not be plagued with these sort of things. Of course, I'm not athletic. Um, I did, uh, but you were as someone I just recently seen a very resplendent photo of you in in play uh, in <laughs> basketball uniform. So I mean, what's your? I mean, just from your own experience, having a, a foot injury like that, or even with Zion just just uh, last night, hamstring, muscle injuries are different from bone, and but muscle injuries can linger forever, and especially a hamstring. Um, is it is it when you when you think about this is it like is it an injury where he's going to struggle coming back from it due to his size how do you think zion can like really adjust to having something like a hamstring injury yeah i mean like i think any any muscle injury for him you know lower body injury is worrisome just because of how explosive he is like i think you know the force the the word the pelicans like to use a lot the torque that he's putting on his lower body it's kind of unprecedented for an NBA player. He actually, before he got drafted, went to P3, that sports science academy. Yeah. And they did this thing called the drop test where you jump like down from 18 inches and you jump onto this pad that measures how much force you generate when you jump back upwards. And he like generated the most force of any player ever. And I think when you just watch him, it makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. the, like the amount of force he is putting on like his lower body is just absurd when he jumps. So yeah, I mean, I think any muscle injury like to the legs is definitely worrisome and then like the pelicans as a whole cj mccollum brandon ingram and zion williamson they put in 10 games together 172 minutes you know now it looks like zion might not even be back till till february you know three weeks minimum so it's like a situation where well hopefully all three all three of these guys can play together again you know sometime around you know maybe before the all-star break or something like that i you know look we we know that CJ McCollum is still there, but really, in reality, with Zion out, it's become Alvarado's team, hasn't it? <laughs> Pelicans franchise player. <laughs> He's he taken the world by. I mean, how many three pointers did he hit against the Nuggets? I mean, <laughs> oh man, thirty eight points for Jose. One of the amazing things about this team uh, of of the fifteen guaranteed spots, the majority eight of them are either rookie deals or veteran minimums. This team is mostly comprised of guys on minimum deals. Um, so, you know, you have like your Brandon's and your CJ's making a ton of money, but, you know, this team is so deep because they've hit on all these guys on the margins, like mm-hmm. Jose Alvarado, undrafted guy, Najee Marshall, undrafted guy, uh, Dyson Daniels has been productive for them, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones. Um, so that's that's really kind of, the strength of this team so far is is the depth and you know this franchise for so long like never never got those wins on the margins and and they're finally starting to like these last two three years or whatever so assuming that everyone eventually gets healthy with the, the pels is there a still an apprehension in your opinion about how they'll be able, because it's such a small sample size, how they'll be able to play together with all three of them. Specifically, I'm talking about Ingram and uh, and Zion. Has is there an establishment of roles? Is there is 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 there this resistance to to for like on Ingram's side to be a number two, or do you think that they're kind of 
adjusting to working in harmony due to all the injuries that are going on? I think it's still the latter. I think they're still figuring out exactly how they they fit together. Um, like the the Pelicans in the the Stan Van Gundy COVID year, you know, basically put the ball in Zion's hands and said, "Okay, we're going to give you the ball at the top of the key and let you create." And they had some success doing that. And they've started to do that more this year under Willie Green. I mean, I think like the point Zion kind of stuff, you know, letting him be the primary playmaker for this team is part of what has fueled, you know, his, his really good play these last 15 games or so. But that's all come without Brandon Ingram. Like Brandon Ingram has been on the sideline for, I think, 18 games in a row. So he hasn't really, you know, been present for Zion going nuclear here. So I, I think they're still kind of learning how, how to get on the same page. And it was a, a very different style under Stan Van Gundy than Willie Green. Like Stan, you know, was not so much about ball movement and quick decision making. And and that's very much an emphasis under Willie Green. Like Willie Green came from Steve Kerr, who came from Greg Popovich, you know, kind of that 0.5 basketball, like pass, shooter, dribble within half a second of getting it. I mean, that's kind of one of his biggest talking points on offense. So I think, you know, they're still learning how to play with each other in that style with, with Zion, you know, kind of as, as your lead, basically. Well, it's a, uh, not as... Um... I don't, I, I, I'm not going to try to compare Nikola Jokic and uh, Zion Williamson because they're completely different styles of players. But, I mean, you were in Denver for, I think, well, your last year was the 18-19 season, right? The, when they went to the playoffs against Portland? Was that your last one? Yes, sir. Yep. And, and so you saw a team going like this, going, I mean, people can't see this, uh, but I'm pointing out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we... Uh, you get we were you were able to see an ascending team. Is the I mean, injuries aside, is the vibe similar to what you were experiencing around this Nuggets team in eighteen nineteen? Yeah, it kind of is actually. Um, man, how many how many games did that Nuggets team win? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Fifty four. Like, yeah, I think the Pelicans are on like a fifty two win pace right now, and. You know, it is similar in that the vibes are really, really good. Like, is this is a really great locker room. I remember that locker room, you know, being a very good locker room. Um, man, I miss Monte Morris. One of my one of my favorite guys on that team. Um <laughs> but yeah, man. I mean, I, I I definitely see what you're saying. I mean, I just think like Jokic is so good on offense that it's like everybody on that team was like, Well, of course we just play Jokic ball. And and Zion is a very good offensive player, but I think when Ingram comes back there's still going to be an adjustment because, you know, Ingram is really talented too. And it, I don't like nothing makes as much sense as just, yeah, let's just play Jokic ball. Like yeah. he's just literally one of the greatest offensive players of all time. And Zion is very good, but not quite that caliber of player. I mean, what Jokic is doing this season is like it insanity. Like he, he is him and Zion. If you look at like the points and the efficiency are very similar. And I mm -hmm. think like, well, Zion is so good on offense. What if you made him literally one of the best passers of all time? And like that's that's what Jokic is giving you on offense every night. I mean, it's that's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. I've I, I I I didn't think he could get better than last year, but it's different because for the most part, he's had Murray and Porter, but Porter missed 13 games, you know, with his uh heel. So it's a little similar too, because they've been shorthanded and Murray is 
re- well, you 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 know the Jamal experience. Sometimes it's great and sometimes it's abysmal and there's never any in between. There's no just average small game. There's like literal no middle ground there. It's like the NBA. It's either threes or layups and there's no mid range. And it is, it is basically Jamal. So do you have any players? Is there any players on the, on the Pelicans uh, roster who are kind of like a Jamal uh, where it's just like, there's, there's no middle ground. It's either all great or, or, or all bad. Oh man, like that, that variance kind of, I'm trying to think here, um, man, I feel like Zion, you know, as long as he's healthy, which is, uh, a very big if is like a pretty steady player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think I've seen like, there's times when I've, you know, this is my fourth season covering the Pelicans. Like there's times when I've watched Ingram play and I'm like, this guy doesn't feel like a winning player to me. And there's times when I'm like, yeah, this guy is definitely a winning player. And a lot of it was just the context. Like he did not like playing for Stan Van Gundy, but no one on that team did. And I mean, he was just miserable and he he played like he was miserable too. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that was, it was just not a very good season from him, but you know, last year, like they got a coach that that clearly vibes with Brandon and Willie green and, you know, Zion wasn't out there at all last year. And I thought when Brandon played, he was, he was really good. I mean, the only, the only problem was, uh, he missed 27 games. I don't know. Does the general public realize how injury prone Brandon Ingram is? I mean, he missed 27 games last year. I think he's missed 23 games this year. Yeah. We're not even halfway through. Like, I mean, you just can't stay on the floor. That's that's the only frustrating thing. It's really hard, especially especially if you're really depending on someone. You all you need a two. You need a you need not 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 a position, but uh, you need a number two. The guy who can pick up the slack when the the main the main guy's not in there, and a guy who can also carry a team when the main guy's not there, and that very much is Brandon Ingram, i.e., last year and what they did in the playoffs. You know, Ingram had a great year, and it's hard when someone's not reliable like that, i.e., what, what's happening with the Nuggets and Michael Porter Jr. Danilo Gallinari was like that uh, back in the day, as you know, and there was never any if you're not able to rely on someone, it makes it really hard to designate that person a number two. Jamal misses a lot of games, but Jamal doesn't actually, I tell you what Jamal's missed a lot of games, but as I mean, even when your time here, Jamal played hurt, he would play hurt constantly. And that's a difference between Jamal and other players. So I guess that's a little different, but there's, it's hard to rely on someone if they're constantly out with something and uh, it makes that dynamic harder to to uh, to crystallize into something that you can build around. And, you know, with the Pelicans, you know, my question to you on this would be, they're going to be hitting into a stretch of games where they may be, I mean, uh, depending on when Ingram comes back, they're going to have to ride with CJ McCollum and uh, Alvarado. And is there, is it... Do you think they can survive long enough within their configuration to not fall very far with Zion out? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting if you look at the stretch, 11 games in the next three weeks, seven of them are on the road. That aspect of it is going to be challenging. The Pelicans have not been a very good road team this year. I think they're they're 7-10. and 10. Yeah. Um, You know, they are 6-2 and two without Zion this year. Like, they... They have winning records both without Zion and without Ingram in the lineup. Um, 
you know, like weathering the storm without them, both of them is going to be hard, but hopefully Ingram will be back very, very soon. I, I think they can though. I mean, I, I really do think they can. I mean, like to me, Ingram and CJ, and then you start Herb Jones and Trey Murphy with those guys. You got Jonas Valanciunas, like that's a good five and you still got some good depth on the bench. You know, you got Alvarado, you got Larry Nance Jr. back hopefully soon. Um, you know, you got Dyson Daniels. Like I, I think they, they do have enough to be fine. Let's talk about Willie Green. Uh, he, I was really, really impressed with him last year. Just absolutely bowled over about how well he was coaching this team. But I mean, um, unleashing Alvarado the way he did on Chris Paul and in, in that series, and just be. I, I, I think what I saw in him was what I like about good coaches in the NBA um, new competent knew what he was doing, was able to adjust in game several times. And he seemed to has both have the respect of the players on the Pelicans roster and doesn't seem to be too arrogant about it, you know? And, and to me that makes, that's like the makings of a great NBA coach. What is your like feel this last two seasons with Willie green as coach? Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of him. I mean, he, it was an almost impossible situation he stepped into at the beginning of last year. You know, they they were coming off this offseason where the relationship with you know like some on the team, some of the team's leadership in Zion was not very good. You know, I think Jake Fisher put out that Zion didn't even go to the meeting where, you know, they they some of the players met Willie Green. Right. Um Zion basically ghosted everyone all summer you know, shows up with a broken foot, shows up out of, you know, pretty overweight, misses the entire year like that. I think with a lot of head coaches like that, that just derails the entire season, right. you know, like started one and 12, three and 13, were able to, to work their way out of it. Um, I mean, what makes Willie Green good to me is, you know, I think he's got like a good foundation of stuff he's trying to instill. And I think he's very good about like clearly communicating that, you know, it's, like the Pelicans are sixth in defense right now. Ooh. I mean, they've they've practically never been a good defensive team, even when they had AD and Drew. Um, yeah. They have good personnel, but you know, I think competing on the defensive end and then offensively, they want to play a quick decision making. You know, share the ball style like you kind of see the Warriors play a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and they have done those things definitely. And I, I think you know he's got some of the right basic ideas he can still them. And I think he's got great emotional intelligence too. Like he's a, he's a very good people person. And I think, I think he's very mindful not to use his own voice too. Like in practice, you know, I know from what I've heard, like he'll let the assistants run a lot of stuff. And then when he feels like he has to step in, he steps in, like he's just not up there talking for two hours, right. which was a big complaint. I understand Van Gundy. Like I know the players are like, <laughs> this is like a bad college professor or something like this guy's just getting up there and lecturing for two hours and they hated it. Like, right. I think he's very mindful of, okay, this is a very long season. Like we're together for months and months and months. Like when I talk, it has to mean something. Oh, you know, you've covered, I mean, when did I meet you? 2016. You've covered teams for, well, six years now, six, seven years. And this is your seventh year. And you are in a, well, you even did, did it in Oklahoma city. So you have, this all this experience covering different teams in the NBA. What makes the situation 
and the atmosphere in New Orleans unique to the other places you've been so far covering NBA teams? Oh, man. I mean, the market is really unique. It's, and I, I'm just trying to like state the facts. It's a, it's a very small market and there's not much corporate money here. There's yeah. one Fortune 500 company in the state of Louisiana. So it's a situation where if the team is not competitive, you know, there's other stuff for people to do here, football and and just a lot of fun in New Orleans. So mm-hmm. if it's not a good product on the floor, people are not going to really come out to the games. You know, there was times last year when there's 5,000 people in the building. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I've been fortunate to see that change a lot. Like, I think this year, arguably, the Pelicans have had the best home court advantage in the NBA. It's been an insane environment in there some nights. And it, I mean, the, the change from this time to last year is pretty crazy. But I, I mean, I think they're just like certain challenges because of the lack of, of corporate sponsors, basically. Like the Pelicans are one of two teams in the NBA to have never paid the luxury tax. And, you know, part of that is probably like has been a lack of investment from ownership. And I think that's something that has gotten better in the last couple of years and is a reason why they're having success now. But yeah, I mean, like there's just, there's just not nearly as much money as there is in Denver. It's not even close. Well, and you have a situation where you have an owner who owns both a football team and a, and a, uh, and a basketball team in a market that's not conducive to having uh, that many professional sports teams in it because just the, and I don't necessarily think it's the, uh, the small market aspect of it. Just sometimes like you saw this and when you were out here in Denver, sometimes there's just a lot of shit to do. And it's just, it's just that you're, if your team's not good, maybe you're not going to devote as much energy into it. But what I've seen from yeah. afar, because I, I do my, because primarily because, um, I, I, I love Christian, but, but on the other side of it is that the Pelicans are really fascinating to watch. So I'm watch this and I see an atmosphere with the Pelicans that I don't think I have seen even in their playoff run where they had with Rondo when they beat the the Blazers uh, in the first round. I don't even know if it was matching this. I just see an enthusiasm around this team that that is um, organic. And it seems like it really the 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 city of New Orleans is really kind of falling behind uh, the Pelicans, um, uh, at least this season. And uh, maybe some of that had to do with uh, what they were doing uh, in the playoffs last year. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it too is I think like people here see some of them themselves in, in some of the players, you know, I think Brandon Ingram falls in that category. Jose Alvarado certainly does. Uh, Jose Alvarado might be the single most popular athlete in all of new Orleans. I mean, maybe like <laughs> him and Alvin Kamara. I don't know. I would love to, <laughs> I would love to see that poll. Uh, I mean, it's like a absurd how popular he is here to hear. Herb Jones, um, you know, even mm-hmm. even Zion after not really embracing it the first two, three years is is kind of all in now, which has been pretty cool to see. Like mm-hmm. you said, after like a home game recently, he's like, City deserves this, this and that. And uh, <laughs> by the way, one thing Zion loves to say, he's like, Drew Brees told me when I was a rookie, if you love the city, it'll love you back. Loves to say that one. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, I mean, I think that's that's part of it too. Like these guys like look like people who are from New Orleans, you know, and like, mm-hmm. like I think some of the energy is the same too. Najee Marshall too. 
Oh, I, I, you guys, I mean, it, it is fun. And, and the Pelicans are, are my, my second team that I just enjoy, just enjoy watching. And it is nice to have an entertaining team that is a joy to watch. And what, and I wanted to ask you about this. You, you said your favorite moment was the dunk, right? Flip side of that is everyone. And the dunk kind of symbolizes something to me, right? And, uh, and just as someone who is <clears throat> tangentially a part of NBA media is I have not seen a team more or I, I could overuse organically, but as universally loathed as the Phoenix Suns <laughs> <laughs> and that dunk symbolized a lot of different things and a lot of angst. And I think a lot of different stuff that comes out about the Suns. And I think Zion doing it and doing it the way he did it was kind of just kind of a crystallization of a, uh, of a middle finger, I guess is the best way to put it. And it started out a little bit of a rivalry. Now the Suns have fallen off uh, this year because of injuries and other things. But when you saw that dunk and you're like, in the back of your mind, it had to be a little bit of this, yeah, the, the the Suns deserve this kind of thing. I mean, look, I I loved it. Like, I'm I'm pro playing until the final whistle. Right. I mean, in professional sports, I don't care if you run the score up a little bit. I mean, yeah, it's sorry, it's not like U seven soccer. You guys get paid a lot of money. Like, suck it up. And I hate unwritten rules too. I hate that in baseball. I hate when the basketball players try to act like there are unwritten rules. Like that's one of the things I like about the NBA. Yeah, they don't really. They usually don't don't go there and say, "Oh, that's an unwritten rule, man. That's not cool." Um, but I mean, what what is your take on why the Suns seem to be kind of reviled by a lot of NBA fans at large? Like, how much of it is just the Chris Paul factor, and that he's seems to be a very great but annoying player, and how much of it is I don't that's know other a, stuff? That's a lot of it. I mean, I have seen a lot of teams get um a bunch of crap in the league um detroit pistons bad boys back in the day um and obviously there has to be like an element of um a, a triggering element right there has to be that in, that instigation honestly I think it was the Suns going through the 21 playoffs and hitting every team that had a major injury just like completely at the right time. The Lakers, Davis goes out. Um, the Nuggets, Jamal wasn't there. Um, who did they play in the next round? It was, uh, God, who did they play in the in the in the Western Conference Finals? Oh my God! Uh, but they they that the, the ones they played then they were they were they were out. Uh, uh, no, it was the Clippers. The Clippers they they didn't have Kawhi Leonard. They get to the finals and they suddenly face a uh, team that was fully healthy, and they lose four two. Now, obviously, that series was closer than four two, and I think the behavior in the twenty one off season is what is just basically is like we are entitled the entitlement and then that next year the way they behaved i think that was really it i think that was it and then you saw it last year even after they beat 
Um, the the Pelicans, you know, Alvarado got under Chris Paul's skin, which is another factor that you pointed out. But Luca saying everybody acting tough while they up was the moment where uh, NBA Twitter was like, oh, yeah, I really hate these guys. <laughs> that's yeah, it. I mean, like when you lay an egg like that at home in game <laughs> seven, whether a couple of your key players COVID. had COVID or not, then yeah. people are going to give you crap and just endlessly, you know, probably, probably as they should. I don't know. It's, it is an interesting thing. I personally don't hate the Suns. I like, I like Monty Williams Man, I, I have always been a Chris Fall, Paul fan. I know he's pretty annoying. Uh, Devin Booker is a player I didn't like when he first came into the NBA and has grown on me a lot. And I think it's actually, I mean, not only an excellent player, but like someone who's really tough too. Mikhail Bridges basically never misses a game. Aiton, shot freaking 70% in the first round of the playoffs against the Pelicans last year. Really nice player. I don't know. I don't, I personally don't hate them, um, but I understand why people do. I don't particularly quote hate them. I I think that uh, obviously there's memories from the playoffs in 2021 that uh, that Suns and four Suns and four that you know you keep with you, but that's not the Suns. That's just a torpy fan that they had in the stands. But at the same time, I I have never hated an NBA NBA team other than the Utah Jazz in the 90s. I I really hated the Jazz. Um, but as a Nuggets team, that's because all the games the Nuggets played against the Jazz were slogs and they make you really angsty. And that's that that's basically my my rationale for that. Um, but for the Suns, I think that's it. And, you know, I've got a great Devin Booker story. I mean, um, I, he worked out for the Nuggets in 2015 uh, in his pre-draft workout. And he was the nicest dude. Just was I mean, he went to Nate Timmons and myself and was asking about the city of Denver. He said he was asking us both where he, where he could get something to eat. <laughs> it was like, it was just, it was a great experience. He was nice. And the Nuggets really liked him. And I was disappointed they didn't get him. But the, on the flip side of that is like people get reputations as they get into their careers. And I think the 71 point game and a loss didn't the, excuse me, the 70 point game and a loss didn't help Booker's reputation and all that stuff. So I think, I think all this is t- kind of together at the same thing. I don't, I, I, it's hard for me to picture any other team than the Suns that is like really disliked in the, in this NBA, in the modern NBA. I don't think there's the bad boys teams or like that, or like the Knicks were in the nineties. I mean, I just don't, I don't, I don't see people hating teams as much as I've seen the Suns this last time. And I, I think here's, here's my personal vote for the team. I dislike the most Okay, Philadelphia 76ers because they have got some foul grifters on that team. And I, in my opinion, that's <laughs> like one of the worst things that's happened in the NBA. Like the last, I don't know, five to seven years is the proliferation of a foul grifting and mm-hmm. just how easy it has gotten for offensive players. I respect Joel Embiid. I think he gets away with a lot. I think he gets too many calls. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, James Harden is just, I mean, that's no, the worst. I mean, amazing top, but I, I hate <laughs> watching him. I, I don't respect them. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just not a Sixers fan. I hope they lose in the first round. That's a Daryl Morey thing though, isn't it? And it seems to follow him. The, 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 the foul grifting thing. I think that's probably part of the ethos of 
threes, layups, and free three throws. I think that's basically his thing. So I mean, I, I I'm I'm almost ninety percent sure Maury will encourage that sort of behavior. Um, I I've always liked Joel Embiid. Um, I I think he's a good player. Um, I respect him after this one time in the in the playoffs. They were playing. And it was not the playoffs, but they were playing the Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, Joel Embiid was like. 15 feet off of Giannis. It's like just telling any, any, any was, it was so arrogant. He turned his back on Giannis. It was one of those things. I always, it'll stick in my head. He turned his back on him while Giannis was at the, at the uh, three point line saying like, okay, shoot it. I'm not even going to look at you. (laughs) I was like, okay, I I, I respect, (laughs) I respect that arrogance. Yeah. I mean, I think Embiid is hilarious and I mean, he is, an amazing, amazing player. Um, I don't, I don't dislike him. It's, it's mainly just a hardened thing. I think, I mean, mm-hmm. I just, and it's not even like, I don't know, you know, like people are going to do what the incentives are. I mean, it's, it's more so on the way the game is officiated. I think right. it's just gotten a little bit too easy for offensive players. And we see during playoff time, like they, they crack down on this stuff and it, it really has to be for a foul to get called. But I still think of the regular season, you know, they, they call too much stuff where it's like, well, that was mostly just the offensive player f- like falling down. That really wasn't the defensive player making contact with him, or that was the offensive player initiating contact. I know they try to crack down on this stuff a little bit, but I I still think it's too far in one direction. Yeah, I uh Okay. I, I you're leading me down my old man path here, so I, I gotta lobby lob in here. Do you think the NBA, due to rules and collision and and a collision of rules and the, and players being just all around good three point shooters, so the spacing is just ridiculous? Do you think the NBA needs to do something to help defenses, or do you think that this is kind of where we've arrived as a league? Because I see a lot of complaints about how it's almost impossible to defend in anymore in the league. So do you think there needs to be something drastic then, or do you think it, it um, it's fine the way it is? Uh, no, I don't think that anything drastic needs to be done. And, and they've, they've taken steps. Um, you know, I, I think a little bit like you can't just, you're not supposed to as a three point shooter launch yourself into a defensive player and get to the line anymore. Like that is a step in the right direction to mm-hmm. me. Um, I mean, I think my my biggest kind of beef is when you watch the way post players are officiated or guys in the interior, certain types of guys like a Zion Williamson or Jonas Valanciunas, it seems like you can hit them pretty hard. And I think Jokic should get some of this too. Like mm-hmm. you can make a lot of contact with them and nothing will get called. But when a perimeter player goes in there, at, like a Trey Young, for example, like he's one of the most egregious examples right. to me. And, you know, like he gets brushed, then then that's a foul. And I think it's too much of a disparity. You know, I I, th- I do think like guys sometimes get rewarded just because they're smaller, not as strong. And I, I don't think you should. That's interesting because I, I, I my radical idea change was to bring back illegal defense and to eliminate defensive three seconds um, to basically shrink the league. I, 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 you can't go out you can't expand anymore that they've expanded as far as they can go as far as spacing goes and the only thing you can do is contract again and the only thing i could do because they're never going to bring back lax hand check that's never going to happen it's it, it just the nba hated hated that 
they thought it impeded offenses. And the only thing you could do is like replace, go back to the way rules were in 2001 and replace defensive three seconds with uh, a legal defense and allow teams to clog the paint. Because honestly, a lot of the points and the insane scoring in offenses right now is because the paint is just wide open. I mean, you cannot step a foot in there and it's hard to reduce spacing in this league. That's basically all about manufacturing it. So that is that was my radical rule change, and uh, I've been informed that uh, that is insane. So <laughs> <laughs> my other thing too is, and I don't anticipate this change. I just think there's too many regular season games. Like I watch so many of these mm-hmm. games, and I'm like, well, the teams know each one of these is worth 1.22 percent of the regular season. They don't care that much about winning this game. Right. I mean, I, th- I like my solution like nuggets is last night, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just play everybody <laughs> twice, play a 58 game regular season, play one, everybody once at home and once on the road. And there wouldn't be any back to backs or anything like that, which back to backs for the most part suck. It's, mm-hmm. it's not good basketball usually. And I, I just think teams would be more motivated to, to play hard and bet to put their best foot forward you know, night in and night out. Like that's, that's one of the biggest issues I see with the league right now. Like teams feeling like they can load manage their way through an entire season. There's no, there's no real urgency until like after the all-star break. <laughs> the Clippers is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have it. Are they, are they, they are a team on paper. <laughs> it's the way I describe the, the, the Clippers. It's like, have we seen them? Have we seen the Los Angeles Clippers? Do we know what they look like? We don't. I mean, when they're all healthy, they get they're they're pretty good. Actually, they're actually pretty great. When they're not, they just load manage their way through, and they're they 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 don't care, which is like a jip to the fans, as far as I'm concerned. But you know, let's just that. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. Uh, but since they've based these things on 82 games, like financial incentives based on 82 game seasons, it's just I have I have a hard time seeing how the league will will go from. 41 home games to 20 something home games and get themselves financially hit. Um, and that's the problem because it's based on this. Now the supposedly not, and before I transition into talking about uh, other things, what do you have any thoughts on the proposed uh, mid season tournament? I mean, I feel like I need to see more details about it, but my, my gut instinct is I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it just seems like kind of meaningless games to me. And like, what is going to be the incentive for players to play hard during that time? I don't think it's going to mean anything to them. I think the only thing that's going to mean something to them is that championship at the end. So I guess that's what I need to see. What is, what is the incentive structure for, for players in that thing? Yeah. Um, From what I've been told, um, based on people I've spoken to, it is going to be financially based. Um, but in my view, it's just going to end up like a, an all-star game. You know, it's it's a team. I mean, winning the midseason championship, they're trying to make it worth something, worth worth whatever. I don't know if you'll ever be able to match what a finals victory will be. And that's, that's the problem. You're never going to balance the scale. And I don't see teams having the incentive, even if you back a dump truck, call the money up to their door. 
I don't see them having the incentive to go all out for a midseason tournament that doesn't mean as much as winning a finals, you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it seems like you know Adam Silver gets a lot of his ideas from watching European soccer, right? And you know, like over there, like you know, it's it's not just like one thing that teams celebrate really hard. Like a team wins a Premier League championship, that's an amazing accomplishment for them. Right. They won the Champions League, like obviously incredible. But like, there's different things you can do, and teams feel really good about themselves. Like, it's kind of just one thing here, and it's it's hard to to see that being any different you're you're absolutely right okay hard transition christian clark you i go to you for um you're my friend i go to for all things current and social um <laughs> uh but we uh i i've been really like this is since january is the the turn of the year every every guest on uh csg will be asked the same questions you are um about what is your best of 2022? Both you and I share love of movies and love of music. So first of all, give me your best thing you've listened to this year. Oh man. It doesn't I have to like be, didn't... it doesn't have to be from 2022. Just the best thing you have listened to this year. Man. Um, I listened to a lot of Van Morrison in 2022. Really, wow. really right. dive down the Van Morrison uh, rabbit hole. Do the mystic. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's probably honestly my most listened to artist in 2022, which is, is really weird to say. And then just like a lot of like dirty South hip hop too. Like just going into like a lot of the, the old little Wayne mixtapes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably those two things. I feel like I didn't. I feel like I didn't have any like albums that were released in 2022 that I absolutely loved, which is the first time in a while I I felt like that. Well, what would you know? I mean, I mean, okay, I'll I'll throw out mine. Mine was Tears for Fears uh, album. The Tipping Point was my album of 2022. Um, and I listened to that. God, I, I listened to that over and over and over again. Um. But I'm a big Tears for Fears fan, so that's not going to appeal to everyone. Your Van Morrison answer was very interesting because I just had this vision because I did the picture of you in the basketball uniform <laughs> popped into my head. And I'm like, would would Christian Clark circa that to when that picture was taken? What would he think of uh, current uh, Christian Clark listening to Van Morrison? <laughs> I probably think it was pretty weird, but the like. <laughs> The Southern hip hop would be like, oh yeah, this oh yeah, is, yeah, this is what I'm into at this time, you know, like a lot of like uh, Cash Money record stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that would that would probably be pretty weird if you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm listening to a lot of Blow in Your Mind now. <laughs> I don't, well, you, I definitely don't think I would have got it. But you, you were, you were more um, like, it's like I've known you for a while now. You're, you are a thoughtful person, so I can see Van Morrison fitting into your oeuvre as they would say um there is i mean i i follow you on instagram so i see things like it's kind of like with me i just post songs sometimes and then you'll post these songs that you've been probably listening to at the time and then you generally hip-hop songs but i'm i'm like see as someone who is 
thoroughly in his mid forties and doesn't necessarily listen to that much hip hop. I listen, I, I pay attention to what you listen to so I can find out what's good <laughs> because if I did it on my own, it would be terrible. <laughs> so well, I don't even think I really listened to that much new music in 2022. So maybe I'm at the point where it's like I'm descending into being washed. <laughs> You so maybe you should find somebody else. <laughs> no, you are not descending into being washed because you don't have the TikTok hair and you're not making videos and stuff like that. You aren't, you are to me, you're not full. Of course, you know, you can't go by my uh, interpretation of what washed is because I've, I've been, I've been washed for 25 years. So I, I, I at this point I'm just riding out into the sunset. Um, but on the, on the flip side of that, you and I are both movie, movie hounds. So anything doesn't have to be 2022. There was a lot of great movies released this year, though. I think this was a good movie year. Uh, do you have anything you watched that's current this year and and anything that you watched from the past this year that you really uh, responded to? I just watched Babylon uh, last night, actually. No, two nights good. ago. Two nights ago. And it was wild. Have you seen it yet? <laughs> uh, I have. And, and wild is a great description of that movie. Did you like it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked it a lot too. I thought it was really good. I mean, for those that don't know, don't that don't know Damien Chazelle, like writer director of Whiplash, yep. Yep. La La Land, very jazzy movie again. Like Damien Chazelle, freaking loves jazz. Yes, he does. And <laughs> oh my god, a lot of sensory overload. And I'm kind of a a sap for those like old Hollywood stories too. I don't well, know. It, it, it's it gets set me. in it's set in the transition between talkies uh, or silent movies and talkies. It is, it is like about, it's a, it, it's essentially about the journey from silent movies to what it became later. Honestly, I kind of like movies like that. It's a movie. It's about, it's a movie about movies. It's a celebration of what movies are and survival of movies and, and the desperation that comes with that. And I really felt desperate watching that movie and it's it's hard for me to kind of translate that to someone who hasn't seen it you know but it, i felt like i felt what they were feeling the desperation of it yeah and i think like part of it too was uh like at the end i mean a little bit of a spoiler but like kind of comments on the modern day state of of movie going and right. and people aren't really going to the movies they prefer to watch them in their home and like kind of looking at well I don't know. What do you lose if if you're not doing that anymore? And I think Damien Chazelle is definitely someone who's like, when I go to a theater and watch something on silver screen, I feel something. And I feel like that too. Like I don't oftentimes don't feel the same way when I see it at home versus like when I go and, and watch it there. Um, so I, I liked the end, even though it was uh, a lot and I didn't expect him to take it all the way there. Like he was <laughs> spliced in like a little thing from avatar, which is like, okay <laughs> he just he just it was amazing um it wasn't my peak of 2022 as you i don't know you have you as you may know i don't know if you do uh i'm a big horror movie fan so ty west had basically at the tail end of 2021 and into 2022 he had x and pearl and both of these movies, if you are not into horror movies, you will not like these movies. But they are both expertly crafted movies for 
for for horror and they were just so well done um and i encourage you even if you don't like horror movies to go out and watch both of those movies because they are worth it because you will appreciate the filmmaking and i i i think you know i'm no expert obviously but i i responded to how well crafted both of these movies were and it is really hard to kind of um articulate on a podcast about the art of movie making but kind of like um chazelle's uh babylon this is like about movie it is about movies it's about stardom it's about all that stuff and it just responded with me and i i loved it i absolutely love both of those movies so i did not see either but i did see barbarian oh what'd you think i thought it was excellent it was like kind of two movies in one it was (laughs) it was spliced together perfectly and i thought you know when they got to the justin long part i was like wow this is an incredible twist and this this worked perfectly like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to transition to that mm-hmm. but if you saw it 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 totally did it was great oh it was good. i mean zach Krager's is, is um you it, it did you ever see whitest kids you know uh no i never have you never saw okay there was a sketch group um that had uh, a, a show on independent film channel IFC all the way back in the day. Oh, did and... they do the the grape you in the mouth sketch? Yes, yes, that's okay. Them. That okay. was he was he was one of the writers and performers on that. Uh, Black Doctor is another one that was a famous one, and uh, it is hysterical stuff. And you wouldn't think a guy like this would be doing a, a horror movie about Airbnbs, you know? <laughs> and it worked. I was really impressed with that movie, and that made movie was filmed for four million dollars and it made something like 50 million it's just i guess people were wanting something like that i i i I responded well to that one the there were some scenes that shocked the hell out of me (laughs) so i was like okay i i I just i just like that sort of thing anyway thank you all for joining me on the latest mortcast i'll be back soon with another episode ta-ta